TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back. It's Overnight America, and I'm happy to be with you here tonight. Ryan Recker on Twitter, and then Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook. If you wanted to look us up there or download the podcast, it's Overnight America, anywhere you get your podcast. So joining us now is a co-author of a new book called Pro-Truth. The uh, It's a practical plan for putting truth back into politics. And Tim Ward joins us tonight. Welcome to KMOX. Hi, Ryan. It's my pleasure to be your guest and to be at home with all your listeners this evening. Yes. Well, explain pro-truth. Well, how, do you, um, how do you be pro-truth? Well, you, you know, words like post-truth and alternative facts have been bandied around for the last four years or so in American politics. And, of course, it's not just America. Truth has always been something that is vital to any democracy, right? People need to be able to come together around common facts to decide, well, how are we going to work together? How are we going to compromise as a, as a society. And when political leaders do not speak the truth, they are, in a sense, betraying quite, something quite fundamental to democracy. So we are a nonpartisan, not just bipartisan, transpartisan organization that believes truth matters to Americans mm-hmm. and to American politics. And this book is, first of all, about what's happened to us recently, part of the problem is the media, part of the problem is social media, but a big part of the problem has been politicians who seen that they can get away with lies and not be punished. Nixon couldn't do that. Even Bill Clinton, whew, Al Gore, certainly suffered for his, for his lies. But the politicians need to be reminded they're accountable to us, and if they lie to us, they should pay for it. You know, when you look at some of the networks, and I'm sure CNN, when they go on the air, would say, we tell 100% truth. And then if you were to look at the criticisms of people that would say, look at CNN doing it again, they would point out, no, they do not tell the truth. So there's always two different sides that look at truth in different ways and what is considered truth. So what is the groundwork? How do you come to the idea of what truth really is? Well, um, let me start with CNN and other news news organizations. One of the things that almost all of them have done in recent years is they have muddied the water between what is opinion, what's your view, what do you think about stuff, and what are the facts, what's truth. So that's to your point. What do we mean by truth? Well, in the, in the book and in the pro-truth pledge, which is connected to the book, we simply mean facts that can be verified. Look, if I told you that I had oatmeal for breakfast yesterday at 9 o'clock at the Tasty Diner, in downtown Bethesda, Maryland, which is right across the street from where I live. 
then if you were there at that time or you knew somebody was there at that time, they could verify, yeah, that's what he ordered. Or they could say, he, no, he wasn't there. He ordered bacon and eggs, right? So it's pretty simple. 95% of the time, truth is something that can be verified. The problem comes when people say things that are not true. And, hey, look, you wouldn't have a business part. You wouldn't stay business with a partner who you knew was lying to you. You wouldn't go to a doctor if you knew your doctor was lying about your chart. And if your spouse you thought was lying to you regularly, that would be a big problem. And yet it seems we're all too willing to accept that our political leaders who determine much of the fate of the nation, they lie and we just say, ah, well, what can you expect? Hmm. I don't think that's right. The interesting part is that sometimes things that are opinion or some things that are not meant to be reported as news is made into news and then the opinion gets mixed with the news and you're right about what we see on television sometimes you have people that are clearly calling themselves commentators they're opinionators you know talking heads things like that and then there's some that you would look at as that but they consider themselves journalists and news anchors which uh, again is problematic in many ways because of how they consider what they're doing or at least the intentions of it and then sometimes you find that it doesn't matter what is said There's always a spin to it, so they're always trying to find fault in everything, which also, again, the waters have been so muddied when it comes to what truth really is. It's it's become almost like in the eye of the beholder. Well, but that's dangerous, right? Because truth is not in the eye of the beholder. At least the small T-truths I'm talking about. Big T-truths, what you want to believe in terms of God, what are the values you hold, hold most closely to your heart? Those sorts of things are, are in a sense, things that are impossible to verify or, or, or refute, right? And so you do have people with some different values. I frankly think that in America, we've got a lot more values in common than we do that, that separate us. But so truth is not in the eye of the beholder, actually. But you have to be very careful not to let somebody else distort the lens for you. And that's one of the problems with the media. And it's certainly one of the problems in our politics today. How do we get people to take accountability themselves for not only finding out the truth as best they can, but, you know, just what we do in the book is we put a a pretty clear baseline. Don't deliberately spread misinformation. Do some fact-checking. Don't spread something just because you think your team will benefit. Check it out. Make sure it's true before you post it. And if you find out it's not, take it down. Well, how do people find your new book and the things that you're doing? Well, the book's easy to find. It's got a very simple title, Pro-Truth. You can get it on any online retail you can find. And uh, if you're lucky enough to find a bookstore that's open, walk in. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. It's available everywhere. The Pro-Truth Pledge is a website, protruthpledge.org, also pretty simple. And there you can find out about the pledge, about what it takes for individuals to sign the pledge, but also about our campaign to have public officials, uh, elected office holders, sign it, and then be accountable to people for being truthful. And we're, I'm really delighted to report that over a thousand elected officials have signed the pledge, have promised that they will do their best to tell the truth while they're, they're holding public office. Hmm. So we believe that's making an impact. So you're a co-author on this book. The other yeah. authors, the people that you worked and people that contributed on this book, is there anything you guys disagree on? Uh, well, um, 
Yeah. Uh, my, my co-author, Dr. Gleb Spursky, he's the founder of the Pro-Truth Pledge, and he is a scientist. He's a cognitive neuroscientist, and i got to say, frankly, one of the brightest people I know. And he founded the pledge as a way to help people not just change their personal behavior, but change society's behavior. But his way of explaining things is often, frankly, kind of scientist-like. And he tends to be very clear about his references and very thorough about his descriptions. I'm a former journalist myself, and I'm an author of, um, of 10, 10 books. And as a communicator, I like to go right to the heart of the matter. And I believe that to communicate well, you need to speak in plain language, and you need to get to the point quickly. Uh, I hope you and your listeners have noticed that that's what I do when I talk with you. So that's where there was some tension between us in writing the book. His book would probably have been about 500 pages long. <laughs> I was able to help him, help him keep this a nice slim book that, that clocks in at only about 200 pages. Well, we're going to take a break. Do you mind holding on after? I have some more questions. Sure. And uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on fact checkers, because the interesting thing is um, that is even muddy, too. So we're going to continue our conversation yeah. with Tim Ward. He's a co-author of a book called Pro-Truth, which you can find online now. ProTruthPledge.org if you wanted to go to the website and see and make a pledge for yourself as an individual or who knows, maybe we have some politicians listening that would like to get added onto the list. That would be great too. This is Overnight America KMOX. Weekday mornings at 8.30 Charlie Brennan and Amy Marks Kors provide perspective on KMOX and KMOX.com Tim Ward is a co-author of Pro-Truth, a practical plan for putting truth back into politics. He joins us tonight on Overnight America, and thanks for hanging around with us, Tim. Hey, my pleasure. I wanted to talk to you about fact-checkers. That's something that is relatively new. Uh, I don't know if we had a lot of fact-checkers eh, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, sure, but you know, you didn't really see it. It's something that seems like every organization has a fact-checker that will go out there, and they'll go out and try to look at things that were said, and then they'll try to put certain Pinocchios out or whatever the grading scale is. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what you think about fact-checking in general, if you think it's more helpful or harmful. Sure. I think fact-checking is really important, and having independent fact-checkers is great. As I said, I've, uh, I was a journalist. In fact, so was my father and my grandfather before him. And that's part of the job of being a good journalist is to fact-check your stories. But in the last 20 years, as the Internet has really cut into the revenues of media organizations, and as the, and as the news cycle has become a 24-hour thing, it's been, there's been more and more pressure on journalists to publish first and fact-check later. And that has been part of what's eroded people's trust in the media. They have gotten stories wrong. Now, one of the things that, you, that to me is a mark of good news organizations is when they get it wrong, do they retract it? Hey, I had a friend recently who said, ah, the New York Times, they just, they just published a story saying that they'd gotten a, another story wrong the previous day. How can you trust them? I said, well, actually, the fact that they correct themselves is a great measure of how you can trust them because nobody's going to get it right all the time. You're always going to get errors that slip by, even if you try to fact check. So that's, for me, one real bellwether is look for organizations that correct their own mistakes. I got to say, I can't recall the last time I saw Breitbart correcting itself on a, on a news story. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and let's take a look at the recent, recent um, uh, election campaign. Man, Fox News came under a lot of pressure for calling uh, the uh, Arizona state mm -hmm. election the, the way they did. Mm -hmm. If they had bowed to political pressure and uncalled that, 
that would have been a, a sign that they were really being influenced, not by what their data was telling them, but by, by politics. And uh, I have to say, I, I, I really appreciate it. Right or wrong about the call, I appreciated them not bowing to political fa- pressure, but staying with the, um, the data that they had through, throughout the, uh, the election. That's a sign of journalistic integrity. Um, so being able to admit when you're wrong and be able to stick to it when you believe you're right, that's, that's a, a, a measure that can help us figure out who's worth, who's worth our time and who's worth our, our trust. Now, there are independent fact-check organizations these days. I'll, I'll point your listeners to pointner.org. That's P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. It's a website about fact-checking websites. That evaluates them, that talks about controversies, that um, that anybody who wants to get into fact checking, that's a great resource. One more time, p o y n t e r dot org. I'm also wondering when it comes to who to trust, because a lot of times personality based or person based, certain things come up and they follow a person. They'll say this person's normally good. So you gain some trust in whoever that journalist may be. So with that, I'm wondering um, when you look at just journalists as a whole, do you find that you mainly trust a lot of them or do you find that you're mainly skeptical I'm just kind of curious what, how you feel, like what's the temperature on journalists right now? Well, I think the right attitude should always be uh, when, you read a, when you read a story that's a, a news story to um, look for red flags or claims being made that, that, that seem to not really fit what you, current, what you currently know. Uh, particularly if there are claims being made that are being made without evidence. So, um, and really one of the problems with the, a lot of news reporting these days is they will report what somebody said. A politician says X is news, and they don't actually fact-check well enough, well, was what they were saying truthful or, or, or not truthful? So I think an attitude of general skepticism is a good one. Read through a story, then check it. If they've, often they have links in the site. If they're links to government databases, links to the CDC if it's a story about the coronavirus, yeah, go check, see what the sources say. And that's one great way you can sort of credit a layer of opinion and, um, uh, and spin is go to the sources, which are often embedded in news stories these days. Mm. That's at least the, the bare bones that we can all do before posting something to our friends and, uh, and, and colleagues on social media. And what I wonder, too, and I think this is something at least I do on my own personal level, whenever I see a story, I try to find a local source from that city. So if it's in Seattle or Philadelphia or Detroit or St. Louis or whatever, I always tend to gravitate towards the local TV, newspaper, radio stations that are reporting these things as opposed to trying to get the national stories right up on it. And I find that the local people, the local journalists, the ones that are invested in the community with their reputation are always much more accurate. In fact, they tell a much better story than the national. Do you find that? I'm curious if you you have any thoughts when it comes to that, because I I feel so many times these national stories, they distort the truth, or perhaps they just don't have all the details, and through omission, people look at it as bias, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, they they just don't do as good of a job as presenting what the truth is. I I agree that people who are uh, local who are experts on the ground, they often can see a lot more depth in a, an individual story, and they're less prone to the the need for a very fast story getting out quickly 
And one of the other things that journalists then often do is they'll just get a perspective on the left, a perspective on the right. There's two perspectives. Boom, there's my story. I'm done. <laughs> and frankly, if you have an argument and there's two people yelling at each other, it doesn't mean that both sides are equal. <laughs> right? <laughs> one person might be right and the other person might be totally wrong. So this is called false equivalence. And that's what a lot of mainstream media end up doing. They just report two people shouting at each other. That's not really getting to the truth. Mm, two people shouting at each other. So you're telling me yeah. for your own entertainment, you don't like to watch two people shouting at each other. <laughs> no. Uh, now, I don't mind an argument that comes down to facts and that really tries to establish what's true. And people can argue about that. But if they, if one person is saying, these are my facts, and the other person is saying, these are my facts, there's no common ground. So um, we need to find that common, that common ground. I, I have to say, to me, the coronavirus pandemic has been a really interesting case of there being the common ground of the testing results each day, the people who are hospitalized, and the death counts, right? Those aren't things that you can spin away, right? Those are just facts on the ground. And if we deal with them, then we can create a good plan as a nation and cope with this pandemic. But if we try to bury them, that's a fact that's hard to ignore. It's costing people's lives. Pro-truth. Um, and the interesting part about this book is that when you put it out there, uh, people are always wondering, again, kind of what I mentioned and you mentioned in the first half, is that how do you how do you come to truth? Because some people could look at it differently. So a practical plan for putting truth back into politics, particularly. And again, if people wanted to look at the book, look at your pledge, things like that, how can they find you online? Easy. The book is pro-truth. You can just look it up at any uh, any any bookseller website or, or your stores. And the campaign is protruthpledge.org. One mm. word, protruthpledge.org. You get a lot of resources there, plus the pledge. And you can even see a list of the more than ten, more than 11,000 people who signed it, including the elected officials from both parties. Yeah. So when, I'm, I'm curious, just uh, one other thing for you as a person and someone that I'm sure has faced criticism. How do you handle it personally? Uh, can you be a little more explicit? What what kind of criticism? So let's say that you have someone that criticizes something you've done, something you reported, something you have said. You may look at it as an unfair or a fair criticism in general. When someone comes to you and they get really angry based on what the something you have done or something you've published, how do you handle that? Mm. Well, let me give you one common example, especially when I first signed the pledge. Um, you know, I. I'm, the pledge obliges you to fact check your stuff before you post it on social media. And sometimes I posted stuff that people have come back and said, hey, wait a minute. No, this still seems to be really biased. Maybe it's not totally false, but it's misleading. And I'll go and I'll check my sources again. And sometimes I'll have to admit, ah, you know, yeah, I can see their, their point. And then to have to say on social media, um, thank you for pointing out this was misleading. I'm posting my admission of this and I will take it down. And I've had to do that three or four times since signing the pledge. And you know what? It hurts to admit you're wrong. There's, <laughs> there's no way around it. But I tell you, in terms of in terms of feeling like you're doing the right thing, when you can admit I made a mistake, in fact, thank you for pointing it out to me, that actually is what makes you a stronger human being. Uh, you know, 
none of us were born to never be wrong. Right? We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to even believe things that are not true. But the wise person is able to accept it when they need to have their thinking updated or when they've ignored a fact that is actually an important fact. So that for me is a, is a mark that I take when I need to be corrected. And I got to say, my wife helps me with this uh, almost on a daily basis, <laughs> correcting, <laughs> correcting places where I've made a mistake, right? It's, you know, being able to say, I was wrong. Thanks for, for updating my thinking. Uh, uh, you know, that helps you be a stronger person. People who are afraid of being wrong, well, they're hard to reason with. Ah, the yes, dear approach. It does take you very far, in fact. So Pro-Truth is the book of which you can find a practical plan for putting truth back into politics. And if you wanted to see what that pledge looks like in some of the people who have signed it, politicians, protruthpledge.org, and co-author Tim Ward. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on tonight to Overnight America. Hey, my pleasure, Ryan. Wish your listeners all the best for their evening. And he joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Very neat. So I like things like that. It's a good, solid conversation. And then again, uh, maybe some of you wanted to comment on that. We'll take some of your calls maybe later in the show, because up next after the weather, David Williams is the president of Taxpayers Protection Alliance. He's got some thoughts on the upcoming Joe Biden tax plan and how that may impact you. We'll get his uh, comments on that coming up on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Sports' most familiar rite of spring is now a fall classic. Golf's most prestigious event, the Masters. And this weekend, KMOX Sports brings it to you live. Coverage of the 84th Masters Tournament, third and final round, Saturday beginning at 11 a.m., Sunday morning beginning at 10. The Masters, hear it here on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Can't believe the weekend's almost here. Isn't that something? Thanks to our guest, Tim Ward, in the last segment. Joining us now is the president of Taxpayers Protection Alliance, looking at the incoming Joe Biden tax plan proposal and what that would mean not only for you as an individual, but maybe business and business owners or maybe the company you work for. David Williams, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Thanks for having me. And boy, uh, being the president of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, I think we're going to have a lot of work to do in the next four <laughs> years with, uh, with Joe Biden. 
Yeah, so what uh, what have you seen so far with this? I know we can look at it from a couple of different ways, um, business and personal. I think a lot of people are just wondering how they're going to be impacted by it, the average everyday Joe. So let's say Joe Biden puts the proposal and the Democrats get it through and the tax changes start to happen. What are the things that you're seeing that could impact individuals? Boy, this could be really disastrous for individuals and for the economy, because uh, Joe Biden says he wants to repeal the tax cuts that were passed in 2017. And for people, you know, middle class people, that's going to be disastrous because that means a tax increase. And listen, you never want a tax increase, right? But during a pandemic, during a really difficult time economically, this is the last thing you want to do is to raise taxes. So um, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed that he doesn't do that. And I think the bigger threat here is raising the corporate tax rate. Right now, it's at 21 percent. It used to be 40 percent just a few years ago, but they brought it down to 21 percent. And you know what happened is business came back to the United States. Right. They saw a 21 percent tax rate and they said, oh, my gosh, this is great. They came back to the United States. And that's why we saw a lot of the good economic news up until we hit the pandemic. So if you raise that back up, even to 28%, you're going to see a lot of businesses leave the country because businesses can do that. Business are, they're very fluid. They can leave. And, you know, they just may set up offshore. They may set up in Ireland or whatever country has a lower tax rate. That's what businesses are smart, man. They go to where the the lowest uh, taxes are. So, you know, this could be a double whammy if, uh, the uh, tax cuts are um, taken away. Yeah, double whammy is probably a good way to put it. So what we've seen over the past couple of years, we saw some tax reform, uh, the way that they move some things around. You know, they take out all of these things that normally you'd, you'd deduct, but instead they just simplify the tax up the yep. you know up what you could do when it comes to your uh, your credits your deductions things like that just naturally came through it seemed to equal out for a lot of different people and that's what you're looking at when it comes to you know the middle class and whatnot but I think when people talk about the Joe Biden or yeah his tax plan they say oh listen unless you're as long as you're making under four hundred thousand dollars a year you're fine you know if you're an every average day Joe you'll benefit from this but when you start to take away some of the things that have changed in tax code over the past couple of years that's not actually true. That's not the case. So how would you say to anyone that is skeptical that anyone that's a low income earner, someone under 400,000 would not be impacted? How, what would you respond to that? Well, first of all, I don't believe that that's where he's going to stop. <laughs> so I think that's uh-huh. part of the problem. But you look at small businesses and they're the ones that could be hurt the most because when you look at small business, listen, they're the lifeblood of this country. I mean, we're talking about tens of millions of small businesses that you know struggled through the pandemic and the ones that survived. We have to make this tax code work as, as we can for them to keep them going. And if you raise their taxes, whether it's personal income, whether it's corporate, you're going to destroy these small businesses. And we're talking about you know, businesses that have two, three, five people. Right. I mean, we're not talking about these mega businesses. We're talking about small businesses. So I think that's going to be the biggest impact and really the biggest shame of it all. And we've already lost a number of these during the pandemic. These are small businesses that may never come back ever. I mean, this is just heartbreaking because people put you know, their heart and soul and life savings into these small businesses. And if you raise the taxes, uh, it's just going to be another you know, death blow to these uh, businesses. 
scares a lot of people listening. Um, they understand this because if it's not on their own personal taxes that they would file, it may be the business that they work for that's going to have to deal with this. And what have we seen? Like, I'm just going to use Obamacare as an example because, yeah. you know, that technically, I guess they looked at it as a tax. So when it happened to... Uh, you know, try to get that through. They said, oh, no, the, the cost will go down. Everyone will be great. You know, everyone will be covered. Everyone will be happy. And then what you saw was the when it was implemented, individual businesses, the ones that had health care programs set up for their employees said, oh, my goodness, the prices have gone skyrocketed. You as an individual, you notice very quickly that when the, it came to enroll for the next year, your premiums jacked up. Even if you were getting covered for, by a company, they couldn't cover the cost of what it jacked up. So all of a sudden, everyone in that company is paying more for health care. So I look at jacking up the rates for individual businesses and what will happen after that. You know, how would the business make up for it? Are they going to have to fire people to make up for it? You know, in the case of Obamacare, when they had to continue to pay and offer certain things, then they just, you know, cut people's hours so they wouldn't be included in that sort of thing. So a lot of times how businesses react is also impacting how individuals would um, would would benefit from it or, in fact, be hurt by it. So it's very good to note that both of these things are intertwined. Yeah, and, and what frustrates me is that Democrats don't realize that people change what they're doing after these policies are enacted. Because Democrats think that, oh, well, we'll just raise taxes and everyone's going to pay more and we're going to get more revenue. No, it doesn't work that way because, like you said, some companies will lay off employees, some will cut their hours. And this did happen with Obamacare. We saw that, that hours were cut. But I'm glad you brought up Obamacare because Joe Biden wants to bring back the individual mandate. And the penalty for the individual mandate, let's be clear, that's a tax. That's, mm-hmm. it, and that's going to hurt people at all income levels. Probably people on the lower income level most, mostly will, will be hurt by that. So that is a tax increase. And, you know, this all has an effect. And you can't just say that, well, we raise taxes by 20%. We're going to bring X amount of money in. No, it never works that way. And I just don't understand why people think it does. I want to look at the debt that we cover as a country, and it continues to grow. It's very concerning. And uh, joining us now, President of Taxpayers Protection Alliance, David Williams. And when you start to look at changes in the tax code and how that can contribute to the national debt, during the Trump administration, yeah, we weren't doing a great job. We kept adding to the debt, and a lot of people were upset about it. And then the coronavirus hits, and now we're talking about a trillion, a trillion, a trillion, you know, more trillions added to different stimulus packages, which push us further into debt. So if you were to look at a Joe Biden tax plan and how that affects the national debt. What do you see? Is it something that's going to help us or are we just going to push ourselves further into a problem? Well, we're going to push ourselves further into debt because it's not going to raise the revenue uh, that's promised. And they're going to think, well, since we've raised taxes, we can spend more. And we're talking about trillions of dollars. I mean, how crazy is it that the trillion is now the baseline? for what we're talking about when it comes to these rescue packages. And Wall Street is so strange because, you know, they were happy uh, that Joe Biden could become president. So there would be another stimulus package worth trillions of dollars. So it shows you that Wall Street doesn't care about deficits or debt. You know, they just care about cash into the economy, which really isn't the best way to look at it at this point, because we're carrying a $27 trillion debt load, which we're borrowing money from the Chinese, from other countries to service that debt load. So this is a real problem. And, you know, spending, you know, when you have tax cuts, you also have to have spending cuts. And that's been my biggest criticism of the Republicans is that, and this 
hasn't just happened in the last four years or five years. The Republicans have refused to have real spending cuts for the past yeah. 10, 15, 20 years. This, this has been building up. This isn't just this year. This has been building up. There's been zero fiscal responsibility for a very long time. Yeah, something I really wanted to see and was calling for is that when we started to negotiate with other foreign countries, when it came to tariffs with China, when it came to renegotiating NAFTA, when it came to all of this money that we were pushing out and really not really seeing much of return, and then you have a Trump administration go out there and start to push back, you know, and then we think, wow, we're going to save a lot of money when it comes to uh, these tariffs on China or trying to level the playing field in the automotive industry. And then let's say the businesses start to come back based on the more uh, more friendly tax code for these businesses we see plants opening up and i thought man we gotta cap off spending somehow so the extra yeah. money we're bringing back in could start to pay this debt down but that's not what happened they just kept spending 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 it just kept increasing and i thought this means nothing i mean you could tear up you could do all these things with the other countries it means nothing in the end if you're just out there spending it we're still in the same debt problem well, well that's right and there are ideas out there senator langford from oklahoma Every year puts out a report, you know, detailing hundreds of billions of dollars to, to cut spending. You know, just alone, improper payments, $120 billion a year. Now, these are payments that are coming out of the federal government that are going to people that should not be receiving it. So we're not talking about taking away anything from anybody. We're talking about improper payments at $120 billion. And I know that doesn't solve the deficit, but why can't we address that? I mean, that's what we call the low-hanging fruit, right? I mean, this is what should be easy. And there are going to, have to be really difficult decisions uh, pretty soon if we don't make the easy ones now. Yeah. Do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to try to get some things that you may be optimistic about in the future, some things that you think sure may thing. be getting better. So joining us is the president of Taxpayers Protection Alliance. David Williams will continue to look at Joe Biden's proposed tax plan and what could be happening coming up next on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. David Williams is the president of Taxpayers Protection Alliance. He joins us tonight on Overnight America. Thanks for hanging around. My pleasure. When we look at the Joe Biden tax plan, is there anything in there that you like? No, <laughs> there, there really isn't, because, you know, Joe Biden <laughs> looks at government so much differently than, than I do and then what fiscal conservatives do. So I hate to say it, but there's nothing in the tax plan that really excites me at all. Oh, man. I was hoping you would say there was something. All right, so this doesn't give me much optimism. So let's say uh, Joe Biden becomes president. I don't know how fast he'll start implementing these things or at least try to. It could be fairly quick. I don't know exactly what the Senate will look like. I don't know what negotiations will look like for this sort of thing. But let's say all of this happens. The the budget goes through the way he wants it. We're going to start seeing changes pretty quick. Um, and that scares a lot of people. So on the individual level, uh, people that are just watching this from the sidelines, I mean, there are some real threats that could change some of the nice things that happened to them over the last couple of years, just based on the um, the understanding that he would start repealing some of the tax cuts that Donald Trump put into place. So uh, these things are kind of scary. I, you know, I, it also scares yeah. me, I don't know if this scares you, the fact that they're rumored that uh, Bernie Sanders could be stepping in for an, a role in the administration and could be guiding some of this. Yeah, so the one thing that I'm holding out hope for is that the Senate 
remains in Republican hands because Mitch McConnell will never give up his tax cuts. Mitch McConnell worked so hard in 2017 to get the tax reform passed through the Senate. So if the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, I think that's that's fantastic. And, you know, the tax cuts should be okay. And, you know, to have a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren in the administration would mean that it's a very short administration. (laughs) It's uh, uh, four years because, I mean, look what happened, you know, on Election Day. We saw people reject big government. We saw people reject the progressive agenda. You know, 10 House seats flipped. They thought that the Democrats would gain five. Uh, The Republicans flipped 10. That was amazing. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer, was measuring the drapes in Mitch McConnell's office because he thought that it was a done deal. The Senate was going to turn over to the Democrats. It wasn't. So uh, I guess that's the good news here is that, you know, this was a strong message from the country is that we are not a progressive country. We are a conservative and fiscally conservative country. And we rejected socialism. We we rejected the progressive ideas. And, you know, Joe Biden is in a in a bind because he's going to have uh, the far left wing of the party, you know, pulling him left where I don't think, you know, he necessarily wants to go. But we'll see uh, what he does and really what Kamala Harris, because she's, I think, going to have a bigger voice in this administration than vice presidents usually do. What are some of those different plans you think could be implemented during this administration that we may not be thinking about right now because, you know, some of the hot topics they they talk about, oh, we need to do reparations, so we need to figure out a way to do this. Or they talk about we need to do universal basic income or some of these pretty far left-leaning ideas that would just dish out money after money after money that we don't have. Are there anything that's on your radar right now that you're worried about could happen when you see the more progressive stepping in? Yes, and that's really at the agency level. If you look at uh, Department of Energy with uh, green energy subsidies, if you look at the EPA with what they can do, we're concerned about the effect that will happen in the agencies because that doesn't have to go through Congress. All they have to do is a rulemaking through an agency. And listen, that's, you know, that's going to go through after, you know, a 90 day comment period. So that's where we're keeping our eyes on. And, you know, look at the Food and Drug Administration what they've done with this vaccine. I mean, we're close to having a vaccine for this, uh, for COVID, which is, you know, incredible. And it's from a company who didn't take any government money, Pfizer. I mean, this is, what does this tell you? Is that government does not innovate. You know, don't look to the government for innovation. Uh, You know, look to the private uh, sector for this. But, you know, we're concerned that the party that's in charge, the Democrats in the White House, are going to use the agencies to advance a lot of their progressive agenda. Mm, Oh, no, the EPA, of course, is going to be a big topic, I'm sure, because they really, during the Obama administration, overreached when it came to their grab of control and land. And I thought, oh, thank goodness, we're not having to talk about that. But that's a reality again. And look at the the Paris Climate Accord. I mean, he's already stated he wants to get back into the Paris Climate Accord. And this is a set, this is, you know, the Paris Climate Accord says to China, you don't have to reduce your emissions until 2030. But everyone else has to. You know, the U.S. has very strict standards, but China, the biggest polluter in the world, doesn't have to reduce emissions. So it's obviously, you know, balanced against us. And again, half the country is rejecting these policies, yet he's moving forward 
with uh, you know signing up for the Paris Climate Accord, getting back into the Iran deal. So you know these are things that are done by executive order that is just so dangerous when a president has this much power and can do things via executive order. So if people wanted to learn more about the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, where can they find information? We're at protectingtaxpayers.org. And I would encourage people, look at the vote margins in some of these states is that, you know, in two years, four years, six years, you know, please vote. Your vote really matters. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. You know, in 2000 in Florida, we saw it. But just, you know, last week, we saw how important it is uh, to vote. But at protectingtaxpayers.org, we talk about a whole host of, a host of issues, the Postal Service. Uh, the FDA, you name it, we talk about what's happening in all these agencies. Wow. Uh, a lot is uh, going to change. I'm sure it's going to be hard to keep up with yeah. all of this, at least when you file for 2020 after the new year, you'll be at least under the uh, Trump tax plan. Who knows what happens after that or how fast they can change F- it. Fingers crossed case. after that, right? <laughs> oh, I know. If fingers crossed after that. It's not as bad as uh, we, we are seeing, but... I don't know. It's going to be hard to look at some of the people they're surrounding themselves with in the talks at the administration, of course, with Vice President Harris, but then with bringing Bernie Sanders people and stuff like that and trying to listen to the extreme wing of the Democratic Party. And that really concerns me because then all of a sudden you're you're looking at uh, just uncontrolled spending. I mean, even if you look yeah, at things like the Green New Deal, it's just scary. And it could, should concern everybody, whether you work at a small business, own a small business, or just trying to make ends meet. I mean, when you have a Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren taking over at any of these agencies, it's, it's going to be a long four years. Oh, boy. All right. President of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, you have a lot of work to do, but thank you for spending time with us tonight on Overnight America. Great. Thank you very much. And he joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Wow. Uh, I'm sure there's some things you heard there that you'd want to talk about. And we're going to open up the phone lines after the news. So you have that opportunity to call in if you want. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. It is a Thursday night, which leads into a Friday. And before you know it, you're going to be enjoying the weekend just like I will be in a few short hours. So let's talk about the things you want to talk about. I got a couple of uh, different stories lined up the way that they're planning uh, the, the new urban areas. Kind of fascinating. Their proposals for that flying cars are back on the radar. Yeah, I saw that trending in the BBC. Flying cars are here. And we also want to look at uh, a commissioner out of Portland getting kicked out of an Uber or a Lyft or one of those cars. What's the story there? Uh, There's a lot to it. But really, I'd like to hear from you and the things you want to talk about on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 